Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined once again with Kay Kellum. We're going to be talking about Veronica Mars. Now, this is a TV show that ran from 2004 to 2007. Yes. Later came back, actually recently came back as a, uh, was it a theatrical release movie? It was a theatrical release movie that came out 10 years after the show was first on the air. And coincidentally, they went to their 10th high school reunion. And that movie was a Kickstarter campaign. Now, what got me, I don't want to say into the show, but introduced to the some of the aspects of the show was... I want to slow you down and mention we are going to be spoiler-filled. Ah, I always forget to say that. I'll put it in the show notes, the yes. spoiler-filled discussion. But yes, we're going to be talking about all three seasons, the movie and then some. Our goal is to, of course, entice people to watch this because always. I think it's an excellent show. I'll say that straight out. Um, but we're going to talk about plot points and stuff like that. So if that does bother you and you want to encounter the show cold, which is more or less what I did, stop now, get the three seasons on DVD. I I assume they're on Blu-ray too, but I got them on DVD. Watch them, watch the movie, then come back and join us. Now, if that sounds like a lot to do, you went on a road trip with a friend. You were gone for a week. Not even. I was gone four and a half days. And I spent eight hours or whatever the previous Sunday before you left watching actually most of the first season and was able through evenings and the following weekend to get through uh, the other couple of seasons. And then we watched the movie together. Mm -hmm. So really, if you've got no life to speak of, I guess, uh, and two weekends... You can do it, and I think it's well worth doing. Um, what got me kind of introduced to the show, though, was it, it was a really weird roundabout way. Uh, our friends, the Chans, mm-hmm. big fans of it, uh, we had taken them around San Diego uh, the day before Comic-Con a time or two. Well, it was one of those situations where we realized they'd been coming to San Diego for Comic-Con for about 10 years, but other than seeing downtown they hadn't really seen san diego it's easy when you go to a convention to fall into the trap of seeing the airport the hotel convention center and a few restaurants and that's it yeah and so we wanted to show them some of the places that we really thought were hallmarks if you will of san diego and one of the sites that i mentioned to them that i really wanted to take them to is cabrillo national monument and if you go to san diego comic-con especially on a year when they have those huge banners that cover the entire side of the hotels. And it's the Hilton Bayfront is the one that stands out in my memory from when we did this. We got out to Cabrillo and we could make out the big image on that banner. I think it was the power symbol for revolution that year. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, as the crow flies, you're three or four miles across the bay. But Comic-Con has made a mark on the skyline of San Diego. Mm -hmm. So that was our intent in taking them out there, was to give them this 
180 degree different perspective on San Diego. And as we're driving out, they're saying, hey, that's where the school bus went over. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And, you know, at first I'm thinking this is an actual news story or a real event. And then they're starting to talk about Veronica Mars. And we also, I think that was the the time we took them to uh, Stu Siegel uh, Studios. It was the next year. Oh, that was the next year. I'm getting uh, confused then. I happen to know where Stu Siegel Studios is. So I asked them if they wanted to go up there, and they said, yeah. And I had, by that point, because we now knew they were Veronica Mars fans, I'd looked it up and noticed Stu Siegel uh, made Veronica Mars. That was the production company in San Diego that did did all that, yeah. yeah. So I thought, you know, they may just get a kick seeing the little, you know, driving by the Universal Studios, shall we call it, of San Diego. Uh, not even the Universal. It's really, you You drive by literally the front of the thing. Yeah. And what's funny is since the last, because I used to work just down the street, literally like a half mile from there. It used to be a, a guard shack next to a gate, and that was really all you saw, and the locals had no idea what was going on in these big warehouses. If you didn't know what it was, you would drive back by it not knowing. If you did know what it was, you might drive by it not knowing. Mm-hmm. But that since then, they added the uh, the diner. Yeah, the Veronica Mars Diner is out in front. Phrasing it as the Veronica Mars Diner. Yes, yes. It is in the opening credits on the third season. It is never used in the show as far as I know, as far as I saw. But it's also an iconic aspect of the show because it's, it's in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that third season. At that point, though, I hadn't watched any of it. We had, and I forget which year it was, gone to the uh, Kickstarter party celebrating the fact that they'd gotten the Kickstarter campaign funded. They were going to do the movie. Um, I think they were actually filming the movie at that point. That oh, was 2013. Okay. They were filming the movie, and the cast had, in fact, on the uh, DVD... That's went right. in some of the behind-the-scenes specials, and they were doing just the phenomenally busy days those cast members had they down were getting at Comic-Con. Up at like the crack of dawn, doing a bunch of promotional, you know, let's do a breakfast with some of these Kickstarter people, let's go do this with some other people, let's go, you know, we're going to have a showing of the thing, let's bring them donuts, they've gotten in line crazy earlier. I, yeah. This cast went all out. For the people who backed that Kickstarter stuff. They started at 7 a.m. and they went until 11 p.m. It, now, it was amazing. That cast did that for those fans. Those fans backed that Kickstarter because, frankly, of what a phenomenal TV show this was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say that about a lot of shows. I personally don't say that about that many shows, you know. But mm-hmm. this is one where I would put the writing, the cast, the acting the whole nine yards, up against any other show and, you know, as something that I think every other writer, show producer can learn from. This show did a lot of things right, and it was interesting to me that my introduction to it was essentially going to a party celebrating, hey, we're going to get this movie done, or we're filming the movie, hey, you know, big mm-hmm. success, 10 years after the fact, never having seen it. And then, you know, because we'd gotten the, uh, the I guess we had just ordered the DVD at like a Best Buy or something. After. We received a press invitation. That's what it was. We'd gotten the and press invitation. How did we get the DVD, though, for the movie? Uh, we ordered it. We ordered that. That's what I was yeah. thinking. So we had that. It was sitting around for a little bit. And then it's like, you know, we've talked, you know, I've heard enough about the show. It's been on my to-watch list for a while. I'd gotten the three seasons on DVD. That's what prompted me when you were taking the road trip. It's like, you know. 
I've got a spare weekend. I've got the time. Let me plow through this. Well, and see, your viewing experience was entirely different than mine because when the show was filming back in 2005, I remember Enrico came to Comic-Con and had one of the autograph tables. And that year I was photographing the people in autograph alley, mm -hmm. autograph area. And I remember I went up to him and I asked, you know, can I take a photo of you for the website and gave him the business card. And he has this amazing sense of humor. And he said, yes, but only if you take two photos and you allow me to pose for both of them. Okay. Interesting request from an actor. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's go for it. And he said, okay, here's the first one. And he gave me this incredibly charming, wonderful smile. And I said, okay. And I show him on the camera. And he's like, okay, that's perfect. And he said, now I would like for you to please take the photo that everybody who has not been kind enough to ask me has been <laughs> getting. And he gave me this somewhat sour-faced, looking exhausted, had a long day, caught off guard, just disappointed just that... Drained. Yeah, and disappointed that people didn't give him the chance to smile for the camera photo. It's funny because, being a massive introvert myself, when I go up to the, the autograph area at a convention, you know, I say up because that's where it usually is in San Diego. I'm not the type to go, hey, shake hands with the person or say hi. I just, that's not me, you know, but I can also get from their point of view where that would be an incredibly frustrating experience to have people thinking, well, maybe they're my fans, maybe they're not, I don't know. And in my case, have somebody who, who like with Enrico, I'm a huge fan of his work well, on, uh, on, on Veronica Mars now, on uh, Flashpoint, on uh, Galaxy Quest, uh, a person of interest. And I'm not the kind of guy who would go up and say, hey, I love your work. Well, and to be honest, that encounter with him was my first experience with him of any kind. Mm -hmm. And I went from, I don't really know who this person is, but for my website, I need to be photographing who all has come and sharing the autograph area experience to, okay, this guy was really cool. He took five minutes to just talk with me because he didn't have a line and he wanted to have some fun. And he was sharing with me what his experience was like from that side of the table mm -hmm. and what he kind of wished that fans knew and well, stuff. And I started watching everything he's in because he was really cool. Yeah. And so I went from being clueless to watching all of Flashpoint to realizing at that point, everybody told me if you didn't start with Veronica Mars, the moment it started airing, you're lost. You can't tune in now. It's too late. I'm the kind of person that I want to start at the beginning of the story anyways. That's yes. just me. Yeah. So, and so at that point, I didn't jump in, but after Flashpoint and everything, and after taking our friends out and them telling us, hey, we just got to see this Veronica Mars filming location. That's pretty cool. Thanks. I saw that it was on in reruns. Mm. And I thought, well, okay, now's my chance because Enrico's in it. And I recognize some of the other actors. I'll tune in. So I set my DVR to be recording it, not realizing that the station running it in reruns locally was showing them out of order. That's annoying. I, I get why that happens, but that would frustrate me, which is part of why I wanted to do it on DVD. Uh, one thing, though, you said that you recognize some of the actors. Uh, Kristen Bell, who plays Veronica Mars, was in Heroes. I recognized her kind of from that because mm -hmm. I'd seen that before watching Veronica Mars. 
obviously Enrico was somebody I recognized. Mm -hmm. I would be hard-pressed to name any other regular cast member they had that I recognized. Uh, Julie Gonzalo has done Dallas, the recent show that just had 40 episodes. Okay, I didn't watch that. Which character so, did she play? Uh, she's Parker Lee uh, in the college Got era. Oh, oh, Parker. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tina Majorino, of course. Uh, we've recently seen on Legends. Legends, and she's been on Bones. She was in Corinna Corinna as a child. Okay, none of those I've seen. So, okay, um, so I just hadn't been watching what they were in. Yeah, uh, Francis Capra, I he played Weevil. I would put him as a character actor. They just He shows up as the gang member a lot. I'm willing but... to bet if I were to go through his page on IMDb, I've seen a lot of his appearances in you know crime drama du jour. Yeah. Know. He's, yeah, he's got the uh, almost iconic biker gang member kind of a, a thing, and that was essentially the role he played to perfection in Veronica Mars. To me, he was one of the standout actors out of a really good cast. Yeah, and well, Weevil was such a great character because not only was he integral to several of the arcs, but he had character growth as a person mm -hmm. over the course of the series and into the movie. Quite frankly. It was one where part of what I love about the show and part of why we're doing this episode is Rob Thomas, the creator who, who also did a lot of the writing, came up with a good, a really a very simple, great concept. I mean, I would pitch it as kind of Nancy Drew meets 902, uh, Beverly Hills 90210 almost. Mm -hmm. um, there are major differences. That's, that's, that's really just a, an elevator pitch and, and a bad one at that. But he had a great concept for what the the core of the show was, who Veronica Mars was, who her father was, we we get to, to know an increasingly large circle of her fellow students. Well, and the Nancy Drew aspect with the mysteries and a teenager who's very proactive and doesn't whine, quite frankly, about the world they live in, but goes and finds the clues and solves the mysteries is very interesting and very compelling. And you add to that the fact that she she sees that she lives in a divided community and she kind of gets her fingers into every pie. Well, and the division is the haves and the have-nots. Mm -hmm. The O-Niners, because they live in the, the 90909 or whatever, zip code, which is all the rich people. Mm -hmm. you know, And then you've got all the people who work for the rich people. Mm -hmm. And her father was the sheriff of Neptune, which is the, the fictional city they're in. Which is arbitrarily between San Diego and LA. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like Oceanside or that that neck of the woods. It's it's obviously uh, along the waterfront, um, but they play a little fast and loose. How long it takes to get to like Mexico versus you know LA or San Diego or whatever. But that concept opened up a lot of possibilities in terms of the uh, people on the 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 have not side are going to have different problems than the rich people have. Mm -hmm. And she's able to kind of dabble in both worlds mm -hmm. because when her father was sheriff, she was accepted by those people. Mm -hmm. Her father fell out of, of favor. Um, she became one of the have-nots. Yeah, living now in a, a small, you know, uh, uh, apartment, you know, with her dad and stuff like that. It's prior to the show launching, their world just got completely turned upside down and, and almost ruined. He got. Uh, uh, Keith Mars goes from being the sheriff to just a private investigator and, you know, having left office under bad circumstances. And 
the relationship between Veronica Mars, who when we first meet her is, I guess, a junior in, in high school, and her father, the P.I., and how that grows over the course of the series, how that evolves into the movies and such, uh, to me was one of the, the, the aspects of the show that was just so beautifully done. Mm -hmm. You had very powerful actors on both sides of that equation. They played beautifully together. They did, yeah. There was a very much a, he's now the single father, they are each other's world kind of a, a, a thing there. It wasn't sappy. It was it was realistic. Well, and they brought in her mother from time to time and really showed, I don't want to say that it was a dysfunctional family, but how the family came to be in the situation it was in and the trials and tribulations of teenage life and that some of them are teenagers make life harder than it needs to be. And that's something you learn as you grow up. But, but some was, of it's real. This was a show that portrayed teenagers as intelligent people mm -hmm. that are not kids. They're not adults. They're in that middle zone. Mm -hmm. And it was, it had a bit of a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibe to how the teenagers in the high school world were portrayed. I mean, not literally with monsters and such like in Buffy, but a sense of, of true to itself and believability, even though it was a inherently unbelievable situation at times. Mm -hmm. And I also love how, with the mystery aspect, they balanced the, what mystery is she solving this episode? Because she's essentially getting hired by her fellow students as a, a PI. Mm -hmm. Can you get me out of this jam? How about this? Can you help me find my car? You know, whatever. And occasionally even getting hired by the principal of the school. Yes. That was a great character, too. Yes. But that got balanced with the arc for the first season was who killed um, uh, Lily... Kane. Kane, thank you. I was blanking on the name. Her her best friend. Mm -hmm. And that was the death that happened eight months prior that led to her father getting out of office under bad circumstances, etc. It was a, a, a pivotal moment in her life, Veronica Mars's life. Obviously, Lily's too. She died. Um, but it was something that... Her, Veronica's world just entirely pivoted around that. Her best friend died, and there was all of this fallout. Mm -hmm. That was the overarching thing for the first season. Then the school bus and its crash in the second season. Well, and one of the things that I liked about the show was that the the teenagers' plotline was interesting, but they also had good adult characters and actors. Um, Kyle Secor, who played Mr. Kane, has been in lots of shows. Mm -hmm. They had Harry Hamlin. Harry Hamlin as Aaron Eccles, uh, an actor, and his uh, his two kids, um, one of which we see periodically that was played by Allison Hannigan mm -hmm. uh, from Buffy. It was interesting because she had, a, uh, I think, only one or two scenes against Charisma Carpenter, mm -hmm. also from Buffy. Yeah. Um, but... The other uh, uh, Eccles kid, Logan Eccles, was like one of the main characters throughout the series. Mm -hmm. But he was introduced as almost the sidekick of Veronica's uh, former boyfriend at the time. Uh, um, uh, Duncan. Duncan Kane. I was going to go with Brad and I knew that was wrong. Duncan Kane. So Logan's introduction was one of those that he's just, and he was uh, Lily's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And their, Logan and Veronica's initial relationship was just horrible, shattered, you know, why are you accusing all these people of her, you know, killing this, you know. 
and where it goes and how it gets there over the course of the three seasons in the movie was epic saga. Yes. It was it was beautifully done. That actor took the role of Logan, played the class clown aspect early beautifully, the trying to do right but not knowing how later. Um well, and definitely the not having solid parental role models matters as opposed to Veronica had an excellent father. And time and again, she comes back to a line, and I want to say it's uh, the hero is the one who stays. Mm. Yeah. In reference to her dad, because she she villainizes her mom lots of times simply because mom walked away. Well, and it's interesting because one of the arcs in the first season was what happened to mom? Why did mom leave? Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the cliffhanger of, of that uh, season ender, I believe. And then the next season, we learn more about mom and all of that. Well, and, and the vilification at one point was kind of, oh, yeah, she shouldn't have done that. And then it's, a, no, no, I, I think she should have. Yeah. And by the time we get into the novel, which I've read and you haven't gotten to. Speaking of the novel, which we, I don't think we've mentioned yet, this takes place after the movie, the Kickstarter yes. movie. Um, and you got a, a copy uh, for review purposes at the at Comic Con. At Comic Con, and it's uh, Veronica Mars, the thousand dollar tan line. It's excellent. Well, it's written by Rob Thomas. So yeah, along with Jennifer Graham, and it picks up basically at spring break. So it's probably a couple months after, and um, Dad, Veronica's dad, has had really bad car accident. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, he's recovering quite nicely from the car accident going into its couple months later. And in this crime, uh, first one girl goes missing. Spring break is basically three weeks of spring breaks sequentially happening where people come to Neptune on their spring breaks. And during that first week of spring breaks, a girl goes missing. Mm -hmm. And the current Sheriff Lamb, brother of... The Sheriff Lamb we used to know and love. <laughs> they went from Don Lamb to Dan Lamb, yeah, I think it I was, so. with yeah. Jerry O'Connell playing the, the younger brother in the movie. And he's, it's almost like in the Dukes of Hazard when they had like a replacement Roscoe or whatever mm. for a little bit. Um, you get the same movements, but done in a different way. Mm-hmm. And the Lamb, Sheriff Lamb, either Sheriff Lamb, was the one who kind of replaced and is is upholding the law as much as he has to, not as much as he ought to. Yeah. Versus again, uh, uh, Keith Mars, who 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 was trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Well, and this Sheriff Lamb, you know, when the press comes to him with you know a girl's gone missing, Neptune's unsafe, right? And he's like, No, nah, she ain't go missing. You know, she's just a teenage girl. She just went for a joyride. She'll turn up when she wants to, and he just kind of blows it off. Which gets the equivalent of a Fox News or CNN uh, reporter who likes to call people out Mm -hmm. and create spectacles out of stories, turning this into the grand story of the day. Which is interesting because it's almost hearkening back to what happened prior to the series starting with Keith, who was getting basic... he, He got railroaded out of his job because... He was going after who he thought killed mm-hmm. Lily, and that was a rich guy. It was, it was, you know, um, that was uh, 
Mr. Kane, what was his first name? I'm blanking. Oh, um, it's been a, a little bit since I've watched all the episodes, and there's a lot of characters to keep track there of. There are a lot of characters. Uh, Jake Kane. Jake Kane, thank you. Mm-hmm. Who shows up in later seasons? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and uh, Veronica gets hired by the. Uh, oh, I can't think of who hires her, but anyways, it's the city council, basically. Mm-hmm. Or some group like that who uh, supports the sheriff and won't basically withdraw their support from him for the next election, but says, or Bear Business Bureau, some group along those lines. But anyway, says, but we need to pay you to figure out what happened to the girl because tourism is down. We can't have the girl not found. We can't pull our support for this guy for essentially political reasons. Yeah. Go do his job for him. Yes, which is wonderful in the land of Veronica Mars when you think about it. And fits in because she's had to do that sort of a thing a number of times. How many times has she gone to the previous Sheriff Lamb with a, this is who done it and why? Yeah, exactly. Well, fast forward a little bit in time after we've been investigating the case for a while and a second girl goes missing. And Veronica is having breakfast with Keith at the house, and the news comes on, and the parents of a second girl are on the news to say she's missing, we want her back, and they both drop their jaws in shock because Veronica's mom is the mom of the missing teenage girl. That's one of those things where... I would love to have seen that filmed. Yes, because I, 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 Enrico and, and uh, Colin Antonio and Kristen Bell could have could have done that so beautifully. Yeah, it was just this great moment because you know the back cover of the book tells you her mom's gonna come in, mm-hmm. and I was saying, but that's that, not how you would expect. Exactly, exactly. One of the fun things about this show is it played fair. Mm-hmm. It didn't telegraph. Mm-hmm. And it, it swerved a little left and right when it needed to, but not to where it's like, oh, and the swerve's coming now. No, it it wasn't. It never felt predictable. Well, and when she goes over to where they've put up the parents of the second missing girl, so her mom and mom's new husband, and knocks on the door to introduce herself as I'll be the PI investigating this, the door opens and she comes face to face with a little boy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Younger brother she didn't know about? Or half-brother? Yes. Wow. I, I got to read the book. See? Don't tell me any more of it. That, like, it, they just throw these great twists at you. But they did that throughout the show where certain things got doled out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like somebody was, was, was holding back on it. But they were delivering the clues and the other little tidbits as to who had what relationship with who, when, why, how does that play out? Mm-hmm. To where you learn more and more about certain characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one time going to the principal, who we see a couple of times, often in the first two seasons, because Veronica's involved with trouble, even if she's not in trouble. Sometimes she's solving problems for him. Oh, she has a knack. But there was one point where he has essentially set her up to do something that he really benefits from. And it's like, wow, that puts a whole new spin on him. Yeah. And then a little bit later, I don't remember if it was the same episode or not, she almost she, she calls him on that. Might have been the end of that one where she realized, hey, wait a sec. Mm-hmm. You know, not that she has been used, but she, 
she was. Yeah. And there were aspects of how the smaller stories built up into the larger stories and the larger stories influenced the smaller stories. She would be off her game on one mystery because some big reveal had happened. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I've got to rethink my entire life. All of this is now a liar or whatever. Well, there's a point in uh, the book where she's looking for someone and she's afraid this person went to a hotel that reminds her a lot of a hotel that she went to back during the TV series. Probably the Camelot, where uh, it was almost the the classic hookup hotel. I think so. And she goes into a hotel room, and she is remembering when she went into this hotel room when she was in college or high school, and then she came out and she says, I wonder, and she walks down to the ice machine. Mm-hmm. And she just has this bad feeling it can't happen twice in your life. Right. I know what's in the ice machine. Yeah. And there was no body, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I loved about the book was the book remembered the history of the show so well that while I couldn't remember the precise details of the plot line from the show, I knew exactly what they were calling back to. Well, and that's one of the things why I think for comic writers in particular that are doing ongoing dramas, uh, serial mystery type stuff, anyone who's writing like a Batgirl kind of a thing or a Batman even, this show is a good template and a reference point because you've got the bigger picture mystery, you've got the done in one-ish sorts of things, the small things, the growing ensemble of characters she's surrounded with, and that sense of history, Mm -hmm. which to me was so well showed when... At the end of the second season, or in the second season, she's graduating, she's walking across the stage, and just about gets a a standing ovation from her fellow students. Yes. This from a character who felt ostracized from everybody, having fallen out of grace or whatever. She thought she was a pariah. And initially she was. But Mm -hmm. over the course of the two seasons, she'd helped so many of the students. Mm -hmm. and, And they appreciated that. And, you know... The the principal kind of, you know, covers the mic, leans over and says, well, what reaction did you expect? Yeah. Kind of a, you earned this. Yeah. And flashing, I mean, we get shots of a number of the characters she'd helped. And it goes towards, these were not throwaway mysteries. Yes. There were times where she would come back. It's like, I'm being asked, you know, somebody would come ask her for help because she helped somebody else five episodes early. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or... You know, one of my my favorite bits was in the third season, she and her boyfriend have gotten uh, uh, unknowingly filmed, you know, doing, uh, they weren't having sex, but they were, they were making out. Yeah, being intimate. Um, And that, that goes viral. And she's asking somebody, where did you get this? And he's playing dumb. And she basically, it's like, out of all the time, you've known me for years, do you not fear me? Yes, yes. And- the delivery of the line. It's like, hell, even if you're just watching this new, you get the idea. Yes, yes. Because when she is on the warpath, man, nobody is safe. But she uses her powers for good, not evil. Yes. Granted, I think she's corrupted a few people over the years. Well, but by the same token, I think she redeemed Weevil. The relationship between her and Weevil was a great arc for both of them, and... One of the things I really enjoyed about the movie was seeing Weevil go- having gone from the, the, the gang member mm-hmm. 
to her getting him a job at the college as a, a maintenance man or whatever that he really is able to do well because he yes. can fix cars, all this stuff, to at the 10-year reunion, he's got a kid, he's settled down, he's made something of his life. Yes, yes. And see, in at the end of the movie, he rides off with the PCHers again. The and Pacific Coast Highway gang members, yeah. Yeah, and I took that because she was back in the PI office and watching out the windows he did that and she was going to help him with a problem. I took that to be kind of a, if the cops aren't going to clean up the city, then I'm going to get back with the guys and we're going to do it. I took it as her setting up her network again. Yeah. He can control them. He can, you know, rein them in. Yeah. And the book gave me a different impression of that. Mm -hmm. And I was a little disappointed in that because I really had enjoyed the redemption of Weevil. Him getting and, the happy ending was nice yeah, in the movie. I didn't want to see Weevil losing hope and thinking, if the world's corrupt, then why was I trying to be good? Why was I on the side of good? I don't want that attitude from Weevil after how hard he's fought. He is one of the characters that we get introduced to early in mm. the pilot and is one of the powers that be in Neptune. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he could make somebody's life a living hell. And it's funny because that was essentially what got Wallace in with Veronica is when we first see Wallace, he's been duct taped to the flagpole and everyone's just gawking, taking pictures. She cuts Wallace down and he's like, well, thanks for doing that, but aren't you afraid of the biker gang? And she's already had an, uh, a confrontation or two with that with the gang at the time and of course at this point at any point veronica's pretty much fearless yeah which is it, part of what's so fun of the character she's not reckless she's Never. not foolish she's not unaware of the danger she just doesn't let that stop her and there are times that gets her into trouble yeah definitely but she's got this belief that it is gonna work out well, that she can fix it. She can make it right. Yeah. And that because she can, she must. Yeah. There are very few times she doesn't follow up on, on what she believes is right. And for a character to get so well-defined, so consistently defined, while aging through, really, if you include the movie, a 10-year period from high school, actually over that, because we see enough in flashback first season of where she was at a year ago mm -hmm. as the cheerleader, as that type, almost, I don't want to say unrecognizable to her current self, but clear that a major life event transformation had happened to her. Yeah. Um, and then to see her through the first year of college and then the 10-year reunion in the movie, the character is just beautifully defined, consistently so, and there's an aspect of... Uh, a core concept there that I see lacking in a lot of, of other shows, a lot of comics, a lot of movies even. Well, there are some characters that I watch them in a show from week to week, and I may enjoy the show immensely, but I find myself wondering if that character has a split personality disorder. Yeah. There are some shows um, where it seems like their family only gets referenced when certain writers are on 
Oh, there, on the episode, yeah. Yeah, there was one show that I used to watch with our parents, and we joked that a certain character only had a girlfriend when a certain writer wrote the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that kind of thing. Well, and, it, it's funny because that would have been very easy for this to happen, particularly during the high school years. The mm-hmm. first two years in high school, third year in college um, with Veronica Mars. And a couple of characters make that transition. But during the high school years, it would have been very easy to only have one writer really, okay, this we're going to do something with the newspaper. Another one, oh, let's do it with the football team and have their own little clicks or something of who they, they felt comfortable writing. Mm-hmm. But that never happened. It was always a cohesive world. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of the credit not only goes to Rob Thomas, but whoever their story editor was. Yes. Who did a, a phenomenal job. And then when you add to that the callbacks later to, oh, remember when this happened? Oh, yeah, I helped so-and-so out. Yeah. Um, there was a scene in the third season where Max, the guy who had the the, the cheating scam mm-hmm. in college, mm-hmm. gets introduced to Mac. Yes. Who we've known her for the, the two years. She was the, the tech support, essentially, for Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. And he's asking her, so, so how did you first treat Veronica? <laughs> oh, well, I was doing, and essentially gives a quick recap of mm-hmm. the scam she pulled early on, which kind of got her on Veronica's radar and stuff. And that kind of a callback, mm-hmm. easy to do with one or two characters, but they did it so often so well. Yeah. This show, I mean, for me, particularly marathoning it through, it was as if I had moved to Neptune yeah. for a week or so. Well, and Mac had a very good arc with the whole switched at birth childhood. The switched at birth, the dating of um, uh, Beaver. What was his name? Yes. Uh, Dick. Uh, no, Dick's Dick brother. Casablanca's younger brother, Cassidy? Yes, Cassidy. Casablanca's. That was quite the story arc. Um, They had mm-hmm. so many... They had a couple of main characters, main families, the Eccles, the Casablancas, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, the Canes, obviously, that were kind of the powers that be, the big rich families or whatnot, yet enough other ones floating around that there were a couple of people that would legitimately have serious beefs with Veronica because of the damage she essentially inflicted in their lives. Yeah. Akin to what had happened when when her friend got murdered, her dad got out of office and stuff. When she followed up on certain cases, there was not even collateral damage. The bad guys got put away and their families suffered. Yeah. You know, at one point, was it the mayoral candidate uh, played by Steve Gutenberg? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had committed a crime. He gets put away. And his daughter, not too happy about that. Can't say that I blame her. Yeah. But... He, he got Goodman. what's coming. You know, yeah. Steve Gutenberg, Harry Hamlin, they pulled in a lot of, of actors um, from from previous years, uh, decades, generations, whatever, uh, to really good effect. And not only do they get, you know, uh, uh, Allison Hannigan and Charisma Carpenter from, from Buffy as uh, Allison as a, a recurring, you know, guest star once in a while, uh, uh Charisma as a, a recurring. Mm-hmm. She was there for quite a bit. And perfect character for her. Um, but they also, uh, from the Joss Whedon family of shows, got Joss Whedon for a guest yes. star. Yes, yes. They got Kevin Smith for a bit. They got a lot of people who wanted to do the show 
because they recognized it as a really good show. Yeah, well, and even as they were doing these grand crime arcs, if you will, they had the arc going on with Jackie when Wallace was dating her mm-hmm. and the there's something not quite right about Jackie. Jackie's not telling the truth about something. She was introduced in the second season and pretty much became Wallace's girlfriend. And mm-hmm. there was some animosity between her and Veronica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I'd say Veronica didn't just do right by Wallace. She did right by Jackie. You know, she flew to New York and she told Jackie basically, go to the airport, catch Wallace between flights and fix it. She went out of her way to, I don't want to say save that relationship because that's not it, but to... To be a friend to someone who hadn't genuinely been a friend to her. Yeah. Because she cared about Wallace and... We we haven't really talked much about Wallace. He was essentially her rock well he was uh, her sidekick isn't quite the right way to phrase it best friend Mm -hmm. he was the one that 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 kind of helped veronica come i don't say out of her shell but uh, back into better acceptance he again taped to the the Mm -hmm. flagpole that's Mm -hmm. how they met he winds up becoming a uh, office assistant which gives him a key so she can have him get the permanent file for mm-hmm. everybody. And in the whole playing of that, you oh, let me guess. You want me to go get uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you're just using me and that sort of a, a a friendship where it's clear that she's leveraging him but not taking advantage of him. Yeah, but I have to admit it's downright funny that Wallace ends up working at the school ten years later and she's still needing permanent files. Yes. Yes, I was hoping he would have turned out to have been, I don't say more than just a high school teacher, but it was interesting where he wound up and how the show at the end of the movie has almost come full circle. Yes. Certain characters back where, I don't say their station in life is, but... Mac is back as tech support for Veronica Mars, working in Mars Investigations. She's given up her job at Kane. Presumably, we're reading a lot into a a few... Oh, okay, from the book. All right, I was going to say a few scenes at the end. Um, Yeah, the book... I was hoping that was how it played out. Yeah, the book clarifies that. And the the book really is a good sequel to It's interesting because my understanding is... From the, the, I guess, the, the extra features on the movie is they had, or Rob Thomas had, this is the story I want to tell, but quickly realized that in order to tell that 10 years later, he needed to get the band back together. Yeah. And okay, let's get, and wind up hiring somebody to help co-write the thing, I guess, or write it for him to, to, this is the story we need to tell to get things back into play, which is what became the Kickstarter movie. And I think his original plan became this novel. I could be wrong on that. But there's an aspect of you've got to get the chess pieces back on the board. Yes. Because you left off. They've been their first year of, of college. Things end not so great for Veronica. Mm-hmm. You know, where does everybody go? Who's still in play? How do we get the characters back together 10 years later? High school reunions, a way to get them at least in town. Yeah. Well, and you have to, you really have to decide who Veronica end up with. Mm-hmm. Logan or Piz. The movie 
on the back of the thing was saying she's back in town to go help her ex-boyfriend who's up on a murder charge. <laughs> and Quite f- frankly, that could have been any of a few people. Exactly. Yeah. Was it Duncan Kane? Was it Logan Eccles? Was it, I mean, uh, Weevil wouldn't really be on the list, but... True. There's aspects of it. Didn't narrow it down. Well, there was... Uh, what was the character Aaron Ashmore played? Oh, yes. Aaron Ashmore was in for He was in, like, quite... the first five episodes and comes back later, I guess, in the third season, end of the second season, too. Mm-hmm. Had a great role, and it's, oh, they went that way with him. That's a shame. Troy Vandegraaff. Troy, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, they just consistently got strong actors for this stuff. Yeah, well, and uh, going back to your asking, did I recognize actors? The one who played Jackie was on a BBC America show that I watched okay. for a season or two. Just, there are a lot of people that did a lot of other stuff it, in smaller roles, not headline roles, if you will. It's interesting because I feel like some of the people that I've seen on shows, it's like even as guest stars, it's like, ooh, I, I, I will remember them later. Having come to this show essentially 10 years after it aired, you know, after it started at least, and not recognizing the names for the most part, mm-hmm. I was surprised by that because that gave me the sense of, well, these are maybe, you know, nobody actor type stuff. And it, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. Again, the one who played um, uh, Logan Eccles, um, he reminded me of Brent Spiner in his off-screen persona of the snarky guy. Because, again, Logan, as as the class clown, was just had no respect for anybody. And he was just an incredibly strong actor that was given a lot of really juicy stuff to do over the course of the season. With what happens to his parents, his friends, his on and off girlfriend, uh, his life. And he got hmm. charged with murder a couple of times, I think. He was on nine episodes of Ringer. He was on 16 episodes of Moonlight. I haven't so. watched either of those. I think I've got Moonlight on DVD and Ringer is one that I'm curious about for. Yeah. That was the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. Well, and with the Veronica Mars movie. Um, we frequently will make lists of movies that are coming out that we think our dad should watch when he, you know, mm-hmm. takes a cruise or goes on a vacation. And Veronica Mars was one I had mentioned to him of, if you ever have the chance. And he had said, yeah, well, maybe I never watched that TV show. He had a chance to see it, only he didn't remember I had told him to see it. Mm-hmm. He went and saw it because he recognized so many of the cast members from TV shows he's seen. Well, he recognized uh, Enrico. I think he also recognized Jerry O'Connell. Uh-huh. Which at the time, I hadn't realized Jerry was playing the younger Sheriff Lamb. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and he had seen Tina Majorino in one or two things. It was really interesting to me. that, And he loved the movie as a standalone piece. One thing to their credit for that Kickstarter movie they did is they got back so many of the cast members. Yes. I don't think there was a major person missing. And that, I mean, part of it is those people seem to really enjoy doing the show and therefore getting the chance to come back, they did. Uh, One of the other characters we haven't mentioned who I was really glad to see back in the the movie just because he was a a minor but really fun character, Cliff. Oh, yeah. The uh, the attorney... Yeah, lawyer that uh, worked with Keith Mars a lot, and it's a hey, I've got this guy. Can you go find him? Because Keith was making his money uh, finding people who'd skipped on bail, 
And Cliff even turns up in the book. He is not the world's best attorney or lawyer, but he, he also knows that. But he's he's making a living at it, you know? Mm. And, in you know, he is a good friend to Keith. And when they do one, I forget what it was, episode where they needed to get somebody in to the office. They're making it seem like the office is set up for people doing voiceover work. Yes. And they pull Cliff in as one of the other people kind of running their lines or whatever. So we're looking, we're in the, 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 the Mars Detective Agency, which is a small little shop, a main room, and then an office for Keith and a little break room area. And he's doing the, you know, Sunday, 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 you know, commercial type, you know, in that classic commercial, local commercial voice. Because he had just the perfect voice for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes towards how much of Neptune, how much of the overall community we got to know over the course of three seasons and, and follow up on the movie. Yeah. We get to know uh, a lot of the, the sheriff people. Yes. Uh, in that office. Yes. Including one who comes back later in the movie is the second guy, you know, behind. Um uh under under both lambs. And again, all the students, the teachers, the, the some of the people in the college, they build up a very cohesive and consistent world where it doesn't feel I mean even when they go between the second and third season, she's out of high school, that world is behind her. She's now in college, and they set a little of that up early uh, in the previous season. It's still local to Neptune, so there's some familiarity, but it, it's got enough of a break from the old, yet without being disorienting what, what just happened. They, they do those segues, those transitions pretty well. When they go between the first and second season, and she's now working at the, uh, the, the coffee shop, mm-hmm. You know that became a, a staple of the show for a while, and it was well used. You know, there's an aspect of they had a game plan going in. They knew where their characters were going, what they needed to set up to have available later. Because I think having the coffee shop where she was working not only worked well for, okay, she's got to work somewhere other than her dad's PI office, but later with Jackie plays into that arc a bit. Well, and they played in beautifully to the Jackie arc. You know, they, they do a lot where... And some of this may have just been dumb luck, happenstance, things fell together for them, who knows. I choose not to believe that, because I don't think you could have had a show that was that well constructed, thought out, and executed on, by chance. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of things. I was surprised Duncan, after the first season, not even the full season, but is kind of, he's written out. Yeah. I was personally kind of hoping Duncan might show up at the reunion. I didn't know how or if he could, but... Ex-boyfriend charged with murder. Yeah, exactly. They finally found him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they 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 had a lot they could pull in. They, there's yeah. a lot more they could do if they do another Kickstarter or whatever. And going to the fans, getting them to back the thing, and showing just how much support the show had mm-hmm. astounded me. I mean, yeah. it it's I don't want to see all entertainment done that way. I think there's some things where to continue an existing product, I think, makes sense to launch a new product. Eh, not so much. But, again, it was it was such a, a addictive show mm-hmm. 
that it was easy for me to marathon through. I wanted to find out what happened next. Well, and it was a show where a 10-year reunion for the high school made sense. Yeah. It, it was a story with the right time, the right execution, etc. Well, and the people who come back with her or pulling her back in because she doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. And there was an aspect with Keith of almost like the Godfather, don't let them suck you back into, yes. you know, you've escaped, stay out kind yes. of a thing. Yes, you could be making big money as a good, respectable lawyer, or you could choose my life. Yeah, but he also know, knew who she was. Yes, yes. She is her father's daughter. Mm-hmm. And again, that relationship was so well executed, in some cases so intentionally sarcastically executed. Well, I was going to say, they have such great lines of dialogue. You know, I forget when and where the line is from, but it's the, you know, I knew the felonies before the state capitals. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, the- when she's finally going up for her, her private uh, investigator's license, um, she gets her score back, has called her dad to gloat, and he's like, you're sitting at my desk, aren't you? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you are. Good. That'll make this easier. Open the drawer. And in there is his with a higher score. Yes, yes. You know, and just little things that they had as part of their relationship. You know, whenever he'd do something big early on, it's, oh, who's your daddy? Oh, I hate it when you say that kind of a... You know, there were things that... Mm-hmm. They were not the perfect family or father-daughter or whatever. There were times they both disappointed the other, but they worked through it. There were times where they could tell the other one was, oh, you want something. You only do this when you want something yes. kind of a thing. Yes. When they would sit down for dinner, you know, hey, don't investigate this. Oh, you're going to go do this, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It was... Well, early on, when he would tell her, no, I don't have time for that case, and there was the looking over the shoulder of, I can just tell she's going to take that case anyway, and she's going to do it. She was, I think, doing half the... Yeah. I would love to see, and I don't know if a novel, a comic, or or what would be the right venue. Live action would not be the right venue for this. I would like to see a story set between Lily's death and the start of the series, Mm. where we see how Veronica transforms from really a happy-go-lucky cheerleader with a, 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 not a perfect life, but a good life, Yeah. to all of that has just crumbled, maybe start with her first day in this new crummy apartment. Yeah. How does she pick up all of these skills, help out at the dad, at dad's office and do all of that? Mm-hmm. How does, how does, what is Veronica's origin? Yeah. Yeah. How does she go from doing homework at the sheriff's department to getting that first digital camera? To becoming yeah. the cyber expert, you know, in terms of tracking people down, the the detective genius or whatever. I mean, some of it, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but there's a story there mm-hmm. that was one of the two things that was always kind of nagging at me early when I was watching the show. It's kind of, we, we cut back to, she's this cheerleader, she's got the longer hair, okay, we see how she physically transforms as to aspects of that. But then there's the, how did she become, mm-hmm. again, this detective? Of course, the other thing that was always nagging at me was, 
where exactly is Neptune? Because, of course, we grew up in San Diego. It's in Balboa County, which I always took to me it was in the center of Balboa Park. No, no, no. Because, again, they're at an apartment complex that's got, you know, waves behind them. They've got yeah. direct access to the beach. Um, the other thing that I thought was well-constructed was how she got her cases. Mm-hmm. Not only was it from fellow students, sometimes it was through her father, um, there was only one or two times though it was a, a somebody at the apartment complex. Yes. And it never felt contrived mm-hmm. as to how something landed in her lap. Yeah. You know, there was the believability of any student could go to her. It's like, I've heard you do this. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Or when something comes from the news from, from an outside source, it never feels like, really, she just happened to be there when kind of situations well i liked when she would uh, impersonate the reporter's voice over the phone calling the uh, sheriff's department and that that got picked up again yeah there were a couple of things where it showed certain people just never learn yeah the way she goes undercover at times there was one point with her and her father i guess it was when they went to the religious bookstore or whatever and he's yes i'm carson this is my my daughter nancy just just going straight into the whole Nancy Drew thing. Yes, yes. And there's kind of a... They, 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 as actors and as characters, get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was uh, the bit about the fake IDs. Oh, and yes. The, you know, nobody's fake IDs are as good as my little girl's fake IDs. An episode starts out with a girl having gotten drunk at a bar, wanders out into traffic, gets hit by a car. The brilliant thing that happened here, and I think you were the one that was telling me about this, is they hired a stunt woman who was a good enough actor, looked good enough to play the girl. So they could show the same person who had gotten drunk and stuff getting hit by the car, totally selling the thing. And of course, she, you know, dies, gets really hurt or whatever. Um, But it allows for the episode to start out with a big shock, and then Keith, who has been asked to step in temporarily as, as sheriff because I guess Don has has been shot or it was at one point when when he was able to do that and um because he got pressed back into service a time or two and he's cracking down on this stuff and later gets grief for having done that oh don't you have more serious crimes mm, to do or whatever mm-hmm. but he winds up essentially firing half the cops because they're not doing what they're told they're not upholding the law People are underage kids are able to drink. I guess this was third season then because it was in the college years. So we had Piz and uh, and Wallace, mm-hmm. who he basically bumps into at a bar. It's like, yes. show me these, you know. And and he recognizes his daughter's handiwork. And on the <laughs> one hand, he's a proud father. <laughs> on the other hand, she shouldn't have done that. And there is a bit going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's well, and they have a play on that in the book where Veronica needs some volunteers to do some handing out of flyers but she can't afford to pay anybody to go hand out flyers but spring break and of course high school boys are dumb enough to use fake IDs so she gets Wallace to go canvassing the local bars looking for some of his athletes using fake IDs and it's once you find them threaten them with either you hand out flyers for free for my friend or I tell your parents what you've been doing. 
There's an aspect of blackmailing that she had down to a science. Yes. Which, when it got to the point with, with Dick Casablancas of where did you get this email, and he has been there the entire time. He has seen the trail of destruction she is capable of, of inflicting. Yes. And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, really? Yes. You know, it, the show, when things happened, they respected that they happened. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Because there were a time or two, yeah, maybe it was a misstep, whatever. But these things play, you know. We had uh, Aaron Eccles, um, that whole storyline mm. with that actor. You wind up, I guess, with the second season. There, somebody turns on the TV and there's the Aaron Eccles story. Mm-hmm. It's like the E true behind the yes. scenes kind of a thing. Yes. And that shows up a couple of times initially as a way to recap what had happened to get new viewers up to speed. Other times, it's like every time Logan turns on the TV, his dad and his life is up there. He's like, yeah, you get used to it kind of a thing. It, it gave it a sense of, of, of again, reality and such. Mm-hmm. They, held their ground, they respected that, and I think it, it was continuity in both forward and backward sense. Yes. It, they could always go back and say, yes, we had done this. But I think they also did things knowing they want to be able to do that and never kind of, I don't say wrote themselves into a corner, there were a few things, particularly at the end of the third season, that never really got picked back up on because they didn't have the time. Yeah. But they... I read tons and tons of comics. Most of them are following the same basic idea of you've got somebody who's a mystery solver, mm-hmm. and one whether they're literally a detective or not. You know, everything from Batman, Superman on up and down, Spider-Man, you know, whatever. Whodunits are the, 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 the main storyline. Who do they interact with? Is this a story that is just a filler or is it something that not only is entertaining in and of itself, but again, plays into that bigger whole? Mm-hmm. Do we feel like they're building a universe or playing for time? Yeah. And so many times it feels like they're just playing for time. You know, I would go so far as most procedurals prior to uh, the Veronica Mars time frame, set in the 90s, the 80s, or not set in, but done in the mm-hmm. 80s or 90s, they were strictly just one and done, you know, this, uh, uh, Simon and Simon mm-hmm. from the eighties set in San Diego. There was some, some subplot stuff that would go from episode to episode, but not much. It's who hired these, these two brother detectives. They solve the crime, mm-hmm. have a laugh at the end, move on. Mm-hmm. You well, know, Riptide. Riptide's another example, but you never really got the sense, even though they've met a lot of people that these people are still around. Yeah. There's no character growth or evolution. Or, They're the same people today that they were yesterday and that they will be next week. Not only are the, the, the ones we see over time the same, but they're floating in isolation. Yeah. There is no community around them. Yeah, definitely. The fact that, again, we had a few dozen characters that had shown up a couple of times mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you could bring back, oh, I recognize that teacher at the 10-year the reunion. Yes, yes. You know, they, there was more they could have brought back, although some haven't gotten fired from the school or dying, probably not. But, you know, when when the bus goes over, yeah, we knew most of those people. Yeah. You know, it, was, it sucks for them as actors, I suppose, but it, it also made that have relevance and have meaning mm-hmm. 
because these are people we'd spent a season with, and therefore there's context versus, oh, it's just some other students who are, who are nameless ones. Yeah. You know, um, Crisis comes to mind because the whole thing on that TV show that lasted a season is based on a busload of students from rich and powerful families gets taken. And in the pilot, we see all of the students. And when we see them throughout the rest of the show, in a lot of cases, I think the number of students is different. Yeah. They seem to have gotten a lot more even though they've let some go. There's an inconsistency there, which I don't think if that were the kind of show that Rob Thomas set out to do, that we would have that. Well, there were about six students, I guess, that we knew the names of on that show. And the rest were floating, interchangeable. Hmm. There was the handful of lead students that, that we got to know, that core click. Whoever was the student of the episode. Yeah. And then whoever was just kind of standing in the background. Yeah. Whereas there were a lot of characters you know, Dick and his brother that were just you know, kind of background and stuff for a bit became more into the forefront. Mm-hmm. Others that were a little in the forefront and then fade to the background or whatever. But they're there to be called on later. Yeah. And at least referenced, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was wasting my time watching any episode. Everything moved Veronica's life forward. Even if not all of her friends were in every episode, I felt that there was forward movement on all of them. Almost every character I felt had where they were and where they got to and a, a good sense of, of trajectory between the two. Oh, it was a great show for characters. I mean, as good as it was plot-wise, it was really good character-wise also. There's one character I want to ask about because I think he was the sole exception to this for the most part. Dick Casablancas is more or less the same guy at the beginning and the end. Would you agree with that? You know, I'd He's like He's older. To, well, Dick has lost a lot of brain cells somewhere along the line. Uh, if his character growth is he drank too much. Yeah. That's not what I would count as character growth. But what I find interesting is, is they did apparently, and I don't know where it was, a web series maybe around the actor trying to get a spinoff show for his character. <laughs> And he's like the surfer dude, kind of the brainless one of the bunch. Might be on the CW seed. I'd have to go look. It might be. I don't know. I've only seen reference to it on like IMDb, and I I was never able to tell where could I go get this. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the other actors and stuff do stuff there both as themselves and in character. I guess, you Mm -hmm. know, I guess it's kind of like an entourage or whatever, a lark of can he do this or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because apparently he got the role because of his hair. This was just a background guy. It's, do we get this guy? Do we get the other guy? Ah, his hair is better. It's like, okay. Well, he's in the book at one of the uh, spring break parties. He is one of a handful of characters from the pilot that makes it through to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, there's... You know, but he's just the frat boy at every party. It's a simple role, but he played it well. Yeah. And it was a needed role in certain points. Well, and I mean, but that's the thing. Everybody needs to have a buddy. You know what I mean? Everybody needs to have a friend. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of times when Logan just needed to have a friend. Well, and it's funny because I think the best use of him was when uh, Dick Casablancas goes to Vegas to get married. Because it takes him out of 
the uh, the penthouse or whatever that he's sharing with Logan, mm. and Logan's stuck babysitting. And this is when Logan is just completely in a funk. And this this kid essentially helps get him out of that because this is again on again off again relationship. Um, they just they cover so much ground in terms of different plot lines, different relationship arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, that it feels like a show that lasted for a lot longer than it did. Yeah. I mean, even Keith Mars goes through a wife, at least two serious girlfriends. Yeah. Maybe a third in there somewhere. Well, and Keith is not bitter about the failed marriage, etc. Because, at least from what I can see in my perspective, he recognizes the importance of his daughter loving her mother. He never villainized the mother. And it, yeah. It's interesting how things like that say a lot about that character. Yeah, and I really think that was something wonderful to see on television. You know, there's, there's been something that they've been talking about on and off, occasionally in the news. They've put it into a few storylines, and it's this, um, this concept of abuse where if a couple gets divorced and one spouse says so many horrible things to their child about the other one mm-hmm. that the child then harms or kills the ex-spouse, that the responsible party is the parent, the ex-spouse. For poisoning the mind or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That that's a form of child abuse. Well, it's interesting because there were so many broken families in yeah. the course of Veronica Mars. Yeah. From her own Wallace's. Yeah. Uh, Logan's. Um, well, and we haven't really touched on Logan's uh, mother who jumped, we are left to be 99% sure, jumped off of what they do not refer to as the Coronado Bay Bridge mm-hmm. in San Diego. But it was very clearly that bridge. Yes. Um, the whole implied abuse, not even applied, they flat out showed some of the abuse that Aaron Eccles was doing, uh, both, uh, not so much to her, but to, to Logan and stuff. There were a couple of scenes where just a really short scene really effectively clarified aspects of certain characters. Yeah. You know, when you see Logan walking into a room, having just gotten a belt, hands it to his father. The door shuts and you hear the whack. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure the door shut, but it's like, okay, he's, he's getting a tanning on this, you know, literally. Yeah. Well, and there were, uh, there were two girls that were being molested. Uh, one was hiding in the closet and their father was very powerful. Oh, right, right. This was, was it the religious one where yes. they were essentially getting brainwashed? Yes. Yeah. There were, and that was, one of those cases where I guess it was was it Keith that's like you know pushing the boundaries of what they can and can't do legally or whatever just because th- these kids are getting abused or whatever mm-hmm. I mean they dealt with a lot of very serious issues well and the father was trying to have the police arrest Veronica for breaking and entering mm-hmm. and one of the deputies came into the bedroom and Veronica convinced them to open the closet and see the girl hiding in fear. And that was what sh- changed the deputy's perspective. Was it the deputy or was it Sheriff Lamb at that point? It may have been Sheriff Lamb. It was Sheriff Lamb because that was one of the few times. Because they, yeah. they really, 
he was never the complete buffoon. He was one that maybe didn't take his job seriously enough, but there were certain things he would not tolerate. And yeah. that happened to be one of them. Yeah. The implication being he had been abused as a child. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that he disrespected the law. It wasn't that he was a criminal. It was that he was a bit greedy and that, you know, for the right price, he might not enforce the laws that he thought, you know, like drinking underage. I mean, how important is He would cut corners as a, as a sheriff is essentially what it would come down yeah. to. I mean, how important is it to enforce the you can't drink if you're 20 instead of 21 if you pay me the right price? You know, that kind of thing. But molesting your daughter, yeah, that that's one where, you know, that's a corner he doesn't cut. Yeah. He was not corrupt, but he was he was not perfect by any stretch. Yeah. And and that was a good episode for him in that respect because yeah. it showed that difference. Well, one of the other ones is the deputy that she dated, Veronica dated for a little bit, mm-hmm. who comes back in the movie. Mm-hmm. With the wait, who are you again line. It was mm-hmm. just beautiful. Yes. Um, but he was one where she kind of plays him. Evidence gets lost. He gets in trouble. Things happen. You know, he gets back in the force later. You know, whatever. But this is something that we see how his life gets impacted. Just being not, I don't say in the vicinity, but in orbit of Veronica. Yeah. I mean, she is essentially portrayed as a force of nature in this town. Yes, definitely. And that that's part of what I, I loved about where the movie left off, having put these players back where they ought to be, if you will, mm-hmm. that if they were to do another Kickstarter thing, I would certainly pitch in. Um, well, and what interested me in the series was, you know, in high school, the principal, I, I won't say suffered from being in her orbit, but definitely felt the pull of having her in his realm and then she goes to college and the dean feels that same effect of having her on campus and i just wonder okay now she's in neptune and like in the book if i could remember you know who it was that came and hired her on behalf of the community but it's almost a okay so in the next book which comes out, I believe, in January or in the next movie, if they make one, does the mayor or whoever, now that she's a adult, an active part of the community, now feel this effect of the force of nature? What authority figure mm-hmm. is she now under the jurisdiction of, if you will? Yeah. Because it was interesting, when they go from the high school and we've got first the assistant principal and then later he becomes principal, and then we switch to college and she's very short order interacting with the dean mm-hmm. and this is not a she seeks him out and puts him you know in his place or whatever it's a she gets in trouble and has to work her way out yeah i mean she's she's a trouble magnet to a degree as well but he the the dean never felt like oh that's just this season's principle if there was an aspect if he's clearly filling the same role it's a similar job Mm-hmm. But the relationship was just enough different. Yes. And uh, they got Ed Bigley Jr. for that yes. role. Yes. Did great stuff. And where his arc goes. But part of what also made that interesting is her criminology professor and that arc mm-hmm. over that part of the season. Mm-hmm. And it's very much, in, you know, uh, that plays into one of the arcs for the third season, which really had two or three arc, mini arcs 
again, who done it? What did they do? How, how do we catch them? Mm-hmm. Do they get their just desserts or not? Yeah. And having gone from season-long arcs, first and second season, to smaller arcs, third season, uh, to me, that kind of changed the rhythm of the show. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a good or bad way. It just felt a little different. And I've got to wonder if that's what led to no fourth season. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that led to no fourth season was my understanding was the pitch for the fourth season. Skip forward a couple of years. She's now out of college. It's her first day at the FBI. She's there. Total new cast. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, I'm curious how that would have worked. On the other hand, as a viewer, that would have felt like too much change. Mm-hmm. You're throwing away all these characters I've really gotten to know. It's gonna... a new show at that point. Yeah, I loved the community of characters. I I would have missed Wallace and Mac and you know all these people I'd come to know and love. Flip side, if they could have found a way to essentially spin down Veronica Mars, start up a new show Mm-mm. with her character in it, Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mars FBI. Something, yeah. Yeah. Because, again, it's it's a great character. There's a, a lot that uh, they they have done with it, can do with it, and hopefully will continue to do with it. I need to read this book. I'm curious about the next book. Um, well, and going back to what you were saying about just the, the use of Kickstarter mm-hmm. and how great the fans were on Kickstarter, uh, I give high marks to Rob Thomas, not just for using Kickstarter to get the movie made and everything, but when Reading Rainbow was doing their Kickstarter and when they hit one of their huge milestone moments and they surpassed Veronica Mars, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a moment where you can either say, oh, hey, we just got surpassed, that sucks, or you can do what Rob Thomas did and say, you know what, hey, Reading Rainbow, we're going to add this prize or this reward, if you will, to your Kickstarter and help you raise more money for Reading Rainbow because we support what you're doing. Wow, I didn't know he did that. And I just think that is really cool. That is. The other thing with the Kickstarter that got me, and it was really clear on the, the extras on the DVD, was they weren't just taking the money. These people were given the opportunity... To be in the movie. Yeah, to get copies of the script, and yeah, the rewards were were wonderful. fully involved. Yeah. They got to hang out with the the, the cast and stuff as they were doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And the cast was clearly so appreciative of everyone who participated in the Kickstarter, and at that party we went to at Comic-Con, uh, and I know we've talked about it before, but we saw Enrico mm-hmm. leaving the party, and it was... Well, that part we haven't mentioned yet. Well, not on this podcast, yeah, but, but we but talked about... I guess about, we talked about that in the San Diego one, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw him leaving the party, and I was, I think, the one who turned back and noticed him and then kind of pointed him out, and we're all like, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night, he looks tired, and we started to just leave him be, because he's out on a public street, but then I thought, you know what? And I went back and I just put my hand on his shoulder and said really quietly, Enrico, I just really wanted to thank you for coming out tonight, for staying so late, for being so nice to all of us, and just for all the really great work you've done on television. 
And he just went from looking really tired, like in that second photo he'd posed for me years to, ago. To re either re-energize him or realize he needed to get his own stage persona back. <laughs> really. I choose to think of the former. Yeah. Because, you know, I went over and thanked him too. Because, again, I'm a big fan of his. And the work he does, at that point, I was mainly familiar with, you know, predominantly his Flashpoint stuff, where he was just... He was making law enforcement look really good, doing really a tough job. Yeah. And, and he did more of the same in Veronica Mars. Yeah. He just really started smiling and standing up taller and straighter. And yeah, he looked really happy. And he thanked us for coming and had a nice chat with us and took a photo. And it was a great end to a really long day. Mm -hmm. And as long as our day had been, I can't imagine how long. His day had been since his first activity for Veronica Mars had been at 7 o'clock that morning. He seems to be a very, I don't say hyperactive individual, that's not what I mean, because he's not. He's a very sedate guy, you but have a very to, busy guy. Yeah, you have to have a lot of energy and strength to work in Hollywood. But he has done, since Veronica Mars, he did Flashpoint, he has done work on uh, recurring a person of interest which is a great character and i recommend people watch those episodes they're wonderful he was in a pilot episode of something this season uh the mysteries of laura that that might have been it um he has done a uh, remedy remedy is a canadian show that i'm hoping comes down to uh, the u.s because i really want to see that i'm curious where about he it. plays a doctor or whatever mm -hmm. um he seems to consistently work mm-hmm you know, and does great stuff. So, you know. Uh, yeah, Remedy's got 11 episodes. And like I said, I know it's up in Canada. I don't know that I've seen it down here. He did a hot in Cleveland, uh, an episode called All My Exes, because it has one of his um, former co-stars from. Oh, it's got from Just Shoot Me. Yes. Um, I forget her name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, um, they'll come to me once we've finished recording. It's the one that was not in, uh, uh, let's see, the, who are the, the leads in, uh... It, well, I know we're not talking about Betty White. Not Betty White, not Valerie Bertinelli, not, um, yeah, I forget. I don't watch the show, so... Not Jane Leaves. Wendy Malick. Wendy Malick, that's it, from Just Shoot Me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's done a lot of great work, so... Again, really strong cast, excellent writing, a well-thought-out show, well-put-together show. Mm -hmm. The arcs played out well. The episodes all stood enough on their own mm -hmm. that I didn't feel like I was only getting a part of a larger thing. Well, and I would say the same for the movie, that the movie stood alone for our father, who had never watched the series at all, that he recognized enough of the cast members mm -hmm. that that got him to go see the movie, I think is really a compliment to the movie. He seemed to enjoy it, too. He loved it. He came home from having seen it telling me I needed to go see the movie. That's sign and, of success to get a, a yeah a new person kind of out of the demographic exactly what i was thinking yeah because I mean, our dad not the youngest of fellows no he's he's not the target audience either demographic or plot line wise really and yet he came out saying hey this is really great tell me more about it mm -hmm. now rob thomas is also going to be uh one of the main guys behind i zombie Mm -hmm. which is based on a Vertigo comic book and is starring 
Um, oh, I'm blanket on her name. Um, she played Tinkerbell in Once Upon a Time. She played uh, one of the Power Rangers in uh, a season a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I'm curious about the show because with somebody who I think is a, a good female lead for the show um, and a really strong writer, showrunner kind of a guy with Rob Thomas. Rose McIver? Rose McIver, yes. She was in Power Rangers RPM. Mm, that I don't know. I'll look. You've got IMDb in front of you. You can find this out. I, I think she played the Yellow Ranger that season. For the record, I have learned I cannot podcast with you without having IMDb in front of me. I'm glad you do it because I get distracted when I have computer in front of me like that If it, for this sort of a thing. These episodes have turned into a pop quiz for me. She was indeed Tinkerbell on Once Upon a Time. Summer Lansdowne, Yellow RPM Ranger? Uh, no, you're exactly right. You're very good this game. Um, she, she's a very talented actress, and I have not read iZombie. I, I don't tend to read zombie-ish type stuff. I'm certainly going to check out the first episode of the show, figure out if, if the gore factor is, is acceptable to me or not. The whole concept of eating brains, eh, not so much. Yeah, the show's got David Anders, um... He was in uh, Alias. Alias, and I was thinking, wasn't he? Uh, Once upon a time, Doctor Frankenstein. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, they list uh, Jenna Berman, Robert Buckley. Um, Upcoming show, good cast, strong mm-hmm. writer, and if he can do what, if he can do the equivalent for that show as to what he did with Veronica Mars, I yeah. think that shows in a good position. He's shown he can write a strong female lead character. And tell just really compelling stories. And that's both what he personally can do and the team he can put together. Yeah, definitely. And every impression I've gotten based on the Kickstarter stuff, everyone who's remotely involved in any way, shape, or form seemed to think that was an excellent thing too, both in terms of not only the finished product, but the way he got there in terms of running the Kickstarter thing, treating the Kickstarter participants and, and donors. Mm-hmm. And you know the well in use of the money they seem to to put the money where it mattered yeah they were very conscientious about not wasting the money mm-hmm. and and that they were given a an opportunity here and to not squander that mm-hmm. and the fact that they had that kind of attitude Mm-hmm. And, and approach to this speaks well of not only everybody involved but but him as well yeah um, they were shepherding the fans' movie, mm-hmm. not shoveling down, you know, what they thought the fans wanted or something. It was, yeah. it was a good dynamic. Yeah. Well, and they did a lot of things in the movie that were subtle callbacks that, I mean, if you watched the entire series, they may not have seemed subtle, mm-hmm. but genuinely they were. You know, she opens a footlocker and she pulls out. The purse, the camera. Her signature outfit from high school, essentially. Yeah. You know, and these are things that they didn't have to do when you stop and you think, is she really going to want to use a 10-year-old digital camera? Does she really have the means to read the uh, compact flash card out of the 10-year-old digital camera? Maybe it doesn't hold up as well. If, if you analyze it that way, maybe not. You could nitpick. What I liked about it is when she first saw Logan, he's in his uniform, and she's mm. like, you should always wear that. 
Yes. And then when she's in the jacket with the old classic Veronica Mars look, mm. he's like, you should always wear that. Yeah. And it was very much just in the, the scope of just the movie that plays. Yeah. Yeah. And the bit at the end where it's kind of the, you know, our love is a grand epic thing, calling back to something from the third season of how they were, you know, not quite star-crossed lovers, but but either meant or doomed to be together, depending on your, your vantage point. Mm -hmm. um, the callbacks work as callbacks. They work as just standalone. There's an economy and brilliance to the writing like that throughout the series. Well, and even if you don't want to say, you know, like you said, the nitpicking makes it fall apart, and yet there's an aspect of any hero, superhero or whatever, who has, for lack of a better expression, retired their costume mm -hmm. from 10 years ago. That moment when they pull it out of the mothballs and don it once more, it's iconic. It's beautiful to see. And the fact that hers happened to have 10-year-old tech that might not work today, it's, might have dead batteries, is a detail I forgive because it was so nice to see. It's, though, the equivalent of when you see in the Batman movies the, the buckle, you know, the, the yeah. utility belt getting buckled, the gloves coming on, the, the, mm -hmm. the cowl coming down. They're getting in costume. It is the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the football team putting on their jerseys, their helmets going out to the field. Mm -hmm. The boxer putting on his gloves. It's, it's the armoring up scene. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it not only did that aspect, but also had the nostalgia of I am going back in time by being here. Yes. And I don't want to go to my 10-year reunion. That is the past. And it's being done by someone who has repeatedly said, haven't you heard I don't do that anymore? Mm -hmm. That's no longer me. Three seasons, a movie. Seriously, you can... Uh, I'll refrain from saying easily. Yeah. Because it was, it was some long days. Um, but you can do this in... Two weekends, maybe three, mm -hmm. depending. It depends how much other stuff you've got going on at life. This was one of those that I I had an opportunity to do this. I got up. I was in front of the TV by eight or nine in the morning and was watching it till ten at night or whatever. It was it was some long days, but it flowed really well. It was addictive. It kept me entertained the entire time. There are other times I've tried to marathon shows like that, and it's like you know. I just got to get up and, and walk around for a bit. I got to go do something else. It's just, yeah. I need a break. I never felt that with this. These characters were charming, entertaining, uh, intelligently written, well, well portrayed. And the story was gripping. It had the right ups and downs. It was paced well. I'm not going to say it was the absolute pinnacle of perfection. But it was really damn close, and I'd be hard-pressed to name any serious, oh my god, why did they do this sorts of faults to it. It was fun. It's something that I, I totally recommend. Pick it up on Netflix, go get that first season on DVD, watch that. If you like it, go get the next, continue, rinse, repeat. Yeah. They pause at good points between. I totally agree. The novel is 324 pages, and it's a great read. You know, when they, when they throw a twist at you, when they throw a new reveal at you, you just stop and go, huh, 
I didn't see that coming, but keep it coming. Well, and there's never a where did that come from. It's so out of left field in a either you've got to be kidding or you've cheated kind of a way. No, it's just a, okay, that's not what I was expecting, but I don't know what I was expecting. I was just, I knew something was coming my way. They've got a good knack of not going straight forward, but not doing the blatant zig or zag, where you know, oh, at this point they're going to have to zig or zag. Mm -hmm. And it becomes predictable. Oh, I thought they were going to zig, but they zag. But I knew they were going to do one of the two. Or I knew they were going to do one of the two, so they fake me out and they go forward. It's It's got a more organic feel to it. Mm -hmm. The characters feel like they're doing what they should be doing based on who they are. Mm -hmm. And they remain true to themselves to, to, to allow that to happen. Yeah. And again, a lot of that is uh, Rob Thomas. A lot of that's the story editor, the other writers, the actors. Yeah. They created cohesive characters and... The world of Neptune is, is again, very cohesive, very real in my mind, even if I can't exactly place it on a map necessarily. But it was a fun place to visit. Certainly it wouldn't want to live there. People die left, right, and center. It's corrupt. It's, it's evil. It's dangerous. But it's fun to watch. Apparently, it's a great party town for spring break. Not as dangerous as I, again, the reporters say. I need to read the book. You do. You do. I... Oh. You asked me if I would have dinner with you one night while I was reading it, and I still remember that phone call because you called while I was reading, and I told you, wait four pages. Yeah. That's how good the book is. It would be interesting if they were to take a few of these characters and just spin them off. Mm -hmm. I would follow a Keith Mars P.I. I would. Thing. Hell, I think it'd be fun to do a, a Cliff... Uh, Lawyer, uh, not show or whatever, but him trying, I don't say him trying to try a case. Yes. But what yes. does his practice look like? We go to his office in the book. We never do that in the show. Yes, we go to his office in the book. In the book, um, Veronica calls Mac and asks her on the phone if she can do something. Mm -hmm. And And this tells you so clearly when the book is written. Because her response is, since you are asking me over the telephone, in front of God and the NSA, no, that is impossible to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that from somebody who had hacked into how many places and done, yeah. And I just thought that was such a great answer from their computer tech, nothing's impossible person. Well, and her character is so well defined that you can hear her voice and her delivery of that. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's one of the things I find even, you know, when I'm reading like the, uh, the Flash season zero or whatever, uh, comic, I'm hearing, you know, Detective uh, West's voice. That mm. actor and stuff. I will say that there's a part of me that feels like I watched this movie. Yeah. It was so well written. A good, I don't say adaptation, but continuation in another, in a, a written format of something that was particularly live action, where you can hear the voices as if the actors were doing it, mm -hmm. to me is a sign both of a really well written thing, because it feels like what they should be saying. Mm-hmm. That it's it's in their voice, so you can hear their voice. Mm -hmm. But also a really good show in terms of of how they did it. That 
again, you know how the characters sound. Not you've heard their voice. Yes, I, I can recognize Enrico's voice. But well, Keith Mars' voice is different than Enrico's. It sounds the same. It's the usage of it that's different, if you know what I mean. Oh, definitely. And I read this book maybe three days after we watched the movie. Mm. So I had, you know, the uh, the establishing shot of the house they live in fresh in my mind. So when the book said, you know, she pulled up to the house, I could see the house in my mind. And I'd just seen Mars Investigation's new office on screen. So it was so clear in my mind when she said she sat on the couch or she went into the back part of the office or whatever. Well, and that's one of those things where standing sets on a TV show lend themselves to written portrayal down the line. Mm. Reading a Star Trek novel, you know what the different bridges of the different ships are is like yes be it, you know when you go to 10 forward or one of the med labs or the mm-hmm. the captain's ready room or, or whatever mm-hmm. you know and that's something that i feel comics don't acknowledge don't leverage there are so many classic locations the daily planet office um the justice league headquarters the avengers mansion the x-men mansion where if I were to say, you know, Wolverine walks down the halls of, of the the X Men school or whatever, odds are you're going to think of of the scene from the or the the hallway from the movies. One, because we've been there recently. I was going to say Casa Loma in Toronto. Casa Loma, exactly. But there's a, a that's kind of I think what a lot of people, including hardcore comic book fans, such as myself, would default to. One, it's a more striking image, but two, it's so inconsistent and indescript in the comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the classic Mars detective agency from the TV show, three seasons of that, we could probably sketch out roughly what it looks like, as could any fan of the show, I would imagine. Same with their apartment, same with a number of other key locations, Veronica's dorm room, the cafeteria area mm-hmm. with the radio station and stuff at the college. Um, I'm trying to think of what were some of the other Hallmark locations. Um it gives us a, a world a sense of physical reality. Granted, standing sets, you're going to have that. Mm-hmm. Comics, with the, the main exception of Titan's Tower under George Perez, where it was so consistently depicted, you felt like you could walk through the thing. Likewise, uh, his depiction of uh, the Avengers Mansion. You know, most artists don't give it that sense of of thought. What's the layout? What room is next to what room? Where would the characters walk? George Perez has done theater type mm. work. Mm-hmm. More, I think, as kind of the behind the scenes blocking, directing, you know, that kind of stuff that he just thinks in those terms, which is a very TV movie kind of a mindset. Mm-hmm. And again, I think with Veronica Mars, there are so many things in terms of world building, cohesive characters, balancing A plot, B plot, long term, short term plots character growth, um, so many things I think writers, artists, other comic creators, other writers, TV show producers, whatever, could learn from that. If they have not watched it, they, they owe it to themselves to, to do so. Um, yeah. It was just, to me, a, a wonderful journey and, and a lot of fun to go do. Yeah, it, you know, as much as Veronica was an outcast at least in her own mind in high school it was probably one of the more enjoyable 
high school experiences on television. It's interesting because she had a rough high school life as we saw. Yeah. But... But it was enjoyable to watch her trials and tribulations. It, it, was, it was a journey worth taking. Characters went through pain, but the viewers never did, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one part I, uh, I loved about some of that was at one point we got kind of the what if Lily hadn't died. Yes. Scenes. And you could see how, I guess it was around the graduation time. How, if one or two little things had been different, everybody's life would have been radically different. In other words, what's going on mattered. Yeah. And again, it sold that there are consequences. This is not just killing time. Yeah. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Hopefully everybody will go watch uh, Veronica Mars now on DVD, Blu-ray, Netflix, whatever they choose. And they check out the book. The $1,000 Tan Line. What's the title of the follow-up novel? Do we know? I do not have that handy, but I'll get it to you for the show notes. And that's also going to be by Rob Thomas? Yeah, and I believe he'll have a co-author on that one also. And it was supposed to have come out in October, but last I heard it had been delayed until uh, January. And it'll be a Vintage Books original also, I think. Cool. I guess that does it. That does it. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.